Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Amen. Thank you, Courtney, for the reading of the word. It's uh, good to be back with you after being out last week. Uh, I had multiple people text me, I guess as an encouragement, to say our, our church gathering was full this morning. And so this week it came with a great anticipation, and much to my surprise, it's not the same. That was meant to be a joke, but um, <laughs> I knew it was spring break. People were going to be out and those types of things, but I did miss you while I was away. Our sending church sends their greetings and their blessings. They want you to know that they are fully behind us. I had uh, countless people come up to me and say, I'm on my knees every morning praying for you in your church, uh, all the way from the East Coast. Uh, and so uh, just know that that encouraged me, that blessed me. Every Sunday morning, for that uh, fact, I get a text from a guy at 4.30 a.m. And so it's 7.30 his time, and he still just texts me every week at 4.30 a.m. So he doesn't forget to say, hey, I'm interceding for you and for your church on behalf of your gathering this morning. So uh, that blessed me, so I want to kind of carry that blessing to you all. And uh, they will be out here this summer helping do our kids' camp, as they've done for three years. And then they actually are planning on helping with our fall retreat so we can kind of take it to that next level. Um, I was also able to attend our gathering online, and so I was blessed by our guest speaker last week on his message on the inexplicable timing of Jesus. If you missed that, it sounds like most of you are here, but if you, uh, I was blessed all week, so if you did miss it, go back and listen to it. It stuck with me all week long as I kept coming back to the timing of God in our lives, which oftentimes is not our timing. All right, we are in week four of our series, Kingdom Come where we've been mostly in the Gospel of Luke leading up to Easter. And so far, this is what we've seen. We've seen the inauguration of Jesus at his baptism where the Holy Spirit came upon him. We saw the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. We saw uh, there's different miracles of Jesus throughout the Gospel that really exemplifies his life. We saw the confession of Jesus as the Christ by his disciples. And then immediately Jesus told them to take up their cross and follow him daily. And then last week, we saw the inexplicable timing of Jesus. This week, we're going to be looking at rejoicing in the hiddenness of Jesus from Luke chapter 10. So whether you have a physical copy of Scripture or the app on a device, you can open your copy of Scripture to Luke 10. We'll be focusing on verses 21 through 24. The context of Luke 10 is that Jesus has just sent out his apostles to announce the arrival of his kingdom to the surrounding cities. And so he sends them out. Uh, they're armed with the power of miracles, and they receive a mixed reaction as they go into the towns and villages around them. There's actually a fairly large amount of people who enthusiastically believed in Jesus and the message that he came to bring. But there's also a lot of people who reject the message of Jesus. And those rejected were considered right people. The people of influence, the, the political and religious leaders, those who would have known all the right answers, but they also seemingly rejected the person and work of Jesus. And so the context of these verses that we're going to look at this morning, along with the preceding ones that were read by Courtney, they kind of cast this additional illumination on the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. You see, they were not only his representatives, which they were, that's why he sent them out into these towns, their names have been written in the book of life. These disciples, these first disciples, have been uniquely blessed by God, and they have been given the gift of the Father's revelation. They understood, not fully, but they understood 
who Jesus was. Remember when he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? They were starting to understand what the religious elites of the day did not understand, what they missed. And so for that, they should rejoice. And so if you're taking notes, here's how we're going to break down our passage. Um, the idea is going to be rejoicing, once again, that we should rejoice that we are not among those uh, people who are condemned in God's judgment. Second, that we should rejoice that God has revealed the truth to us as his children. And third, that we rejoice as Jesus does because we live in an era that the prophets look forward to. So let me pray for us again and we'll get into the text itself. Father God, we come to you this morning. Settle our hearts, settle our minds. God, help us to understand this truth. Got a, a part of the gospel that I don't know if you really hear messages about a whole lot. So this idea of the hiddenness. God, for those of us that are in Christ, that we should rejoice that you have revealed yourself to us. And God, the reminder is that for those in our city and our culture and around us who don't have an understanding, God, that uh, we can't preach enough sermons, we can't sing enough worship songs, we can't do enough events to convince them, but God, that there's this, this part, this aspect, this very important part that your spirit has to remove the blinders from people's eyes. You have to open their hearts, their minds to an understanding. And so God, we rejoice as those that are in you, that, that you've already done that for us. And then, God, we pray and intercede for those around us who that has not happened yet. God, that you would cause that to take place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first, we're going to rejoice that we are not among those cities and people condemned in God's judgment. Let's look at verse 21 of Luke chapter 10. It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you. Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And so earlier in the chapter, he sends out the 72 on this mission. And this initial mission is complete. The reason I say initial is because we're still on this mission. He is still sending us out. But this initial mission is complete. And Jesus turns to his heavenly Father and he rejoices. Why does he rejoice? Primarily because God has revealed himself to the little children. But when we think of little children, we, we might think of like my children, right? Like which are growing, but not as little, but little children. Which it is that, but it's also including the disciples who have a childlike faith. He has revealed himself to them so that they can have this level of understanding. And then Jesus notes with an irony that the wise and understanding of the world who would have all the education and all the answers, they nonetheless rejected the gospel. They don't actually understand it. They're looking for a certain sign. They're looking for certain things, and they totally miss it altogether. And so those of us who have, are following Jesus should rejoice that we're not among those who, who missed it, that we would categorize ourselves in those like the little children who received his faith, because we are now citizens in the kingdom of heaven, and that our citizenship came at a great cost and a great love. Ultimate came through the cost of the blood of Jesus on the cross. But what this means is no, no matter what happens in this life, if you remember last week's message, this inexplicable timing of Jesus, so no matter what happens to us, no matter we don't have an understanding that we have reason to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. We are part of this citizenship now, and that cannot be taken from us. And so according to this verse, who missed it? The wise and the understanding. Well, who got it? The children and those who have a childlike faith. 
Now, is there anything wrong with wisdom and understanding? I would, no, I would hope not, right? The Bible tells us to seek both of those things. He loves us to be wise in his word. He loves us to be wise in his world. Yet the Jewish people, we got to remember our original audience here, the Jewish people who were the biblically wisest people of the day, they missed him. They were looking for him. His prophecies of this coming Savior, but they totally missed him in the process. And the worldly wisest people, the Greeks and the Roman rulers, they missed him too. Those who you expect, they're welcoming Jesus. They're ready for you. They've totally missed Jesus. And so this passage actually says in maybe somewhat a confusing manner that God hid himself from them. Because it's God who has to reveal himself to individuals and to people. And so we first rejoice that we are included in the kingdom of heaven. That if you are in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you call yourself a Christian, that you understood and saw something that the religious elites and rulers of the day missed. And that still takes place and happens today. So we rejoice for that. Second, we rejoice that God has revealed the truth to us. Look at verse 22. It says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So he starts out with this phrase, all things. This probably refers to everything that he needed to carry out his ministry of redemption. This is, the, this is what I'm sending you to do. God the Father sent God the Son. This is what I'm sending you to do. And all these things that are needed in order to carry out your mission for the salvation of the world. And so we see in Jesus both this incarnate state that he came as the God-man and his eternal state as the Son. Some people think that at Jesus' birth, that's when Jesus came into being. Like Jesus has always been. Like we go back to, to before creation happened. Like the Father, Son, and Spirit were all present there. And so we have Jesus, the God-man, we have Jesus, the eternal son, and that the Father and the Son, they, they share this exclusive relationship and this, this direct and immediate knowledge of one another. They're always present, they're always aware. But in this passage, this verse 22, it tells us that no one knows who the Son is except the Father. You see, once we come to Christ, we are sons and daughters. We are called his beloved. But that Jesus still has this qualitative relationship that's different from ours which is made clear when luke says that no one no one knows this except for the father so jesus has this unique relationship in this in this trinitarian father son and spirit and it's through jesus alone that salvation is offered to all of mankind john 14 6 tells us this jesus said to him i am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is the one who comes to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies, the teachings that show exclusiveness of God's claim. God's claim that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, we live in a culture, we live in a time in history where our society says there's multiple paths to God. That's your truth and live into your truth. Or I follow this, or I follow that, and ultimately all paths lead to the same thing. But that's actually contrary to what Scripture teaches us. We don't have to be mean and be jerks about it. I think sometimes people hear that thing, we've got to be a jerk about it. You can lovingly say, actually, that's not what God's Word says. When, when we lived in South Asia and we came across literally daily Muslims and, and Hindus and Sikhs and Jains, and that was a conversation. 
Especially whenever our, our, our Muslim friends look like they were so close and they'd say, do this and say, no, this is, our, our God is a jealous God and an exclusive God. He, is, he has made a way for all people from all nations, all tribes, and all tongues, as Revelation tells us. But there's only one way. We can't get that muddied. We can't allow that. We can't take away from the truthfulness of that. We must uphold that message even in a time and place and culture like ours. And Jesus alone can provide access to God because Jesus alone is the one who comes and fulfills all of those Old Testament prophecies. What's crazy, if you study the Old Testament, I feel like most of us don't, and you looked at, and then you see the Old Testament, it all fits together. That's why this is one big overarching story, one big meta-narrative. It all fits together. It's not a bunch of books that are kind of just chopped up and thrown together. It's all telling one story. It all points to who? Jesus, good. I was hoping to get the Sunday school answer. It all points to Jesus from the very first to the very end. It all points to Jesus. And it's Jesus who is able to offer eternal life to all who believe in him. Acts 4.12 tells us this. And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that people come to know the Father God. You see, the Father, his, his sovereignty is tied to the Son, and now they share authority. And it tells us in Scripture, what God has put together, let no man separate. And this is why the kingdom message, this is why the message that Jesus came proclaiming should be taken so seriously. And so today, if you're in Christ, rejoice that God has revealed the truth to you. Rejoice that you have this knowledge. It's not because you were anyone special, not to break it to you, but it's not because you had some kind of exclusive rights. It's not because you were born into the right family or the right country or because you're of the right socioeconomic status. It's because of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's because of the grace of God and God alone. Now, admittedly, and I'm not going to get too far into the weeds here, I don't think, but admittedly, some people do not like this idea of God revealing himself to some and not to others. But we must look back to verse 21 for the context of what this means. And here's the reality, that Jesus has offered salvation to everyone. Let me hopefully explain that briefly. His, his sacrificial death on the cross, which we will celebrate here in a couple weeks, it's, it's salvific for everyone, for all of mankind. What he did, the price that he paid, it covered all, but it only applies fully to those who willingly accept his offer. Now, let me explain that in case that was confusing to you. I couldn't think of a, the best example, but here's one example I thought of. It's as if you were on death row. Now, I know you think, well, if you did something to be on death row, you should probably stay there. But it's as if you're on death row and someone for a life sentence and someone comes to you and says, I've paid your penalty. I'm actually taking your place on death row and I'm going to be the one who, who ultimately is going to die. You are free and you neglect that offer. And you willingly choose to stay behind bars. You choose to stay in, in, in the shame and you don't take that. Or maybe a little bit lighter offer. It's like your parents come to you and say, we have already paid in full for your college education. It's paid. You don't have to go in debt like your peers. You don't have to be paying up until you're in your 40s or 50s and you say, I refuse to go to this school or I refuse to do this. So it's offered to all but you still have to accept it. You have to take the gift and willingly receive it. And so the point is that we rejoice in what Jesus rejoices in. 
Jesus rejoices that God has made the gospel known to those who believe and accept his offer of salvation. He opened their eyes to see Jesus. It's as if God, with his own fingers, opened the eyes so people could see Jesus. It's like he removed the scales and glaucoma that previously blocked their sight. And so as we pray for people, and my prayer is right now, the Holy Spirit puts people in your heart and your mind, friends, peers, loved ones, neighbors, and you think, God, why don't they know? Maybe people you've shared this message with time and time again, why don't they understand? Our prayer needs to be, God, I need you to show up. When I think about our city and we look around, we need God to show up in our city. Like I said in, in my prayer, we could preach sermons all day long. We could do outreach events all day long. We could sing worship songs and do worship things on the riverfront all year long. But unless God opens people's eyes, unless God breaks in and opens people's heart, it's not going to make a difference. I think the most significant problem in the world today and in our city today is spiritual blindness. We're a very spiritual city. You know, the people here were in the least religious cities. I think that's true. We're in the most atheistic cities. It's probably true, but we're also a very spiritual city. Just spend a, walk around the neighborhood today. We're in a very spiritual place. But I think there's a lot of spiritual blindness. And it's only through Christ and Christ alone, through the Spirit of God breaking in, that people will have an understanding of who Jesus actually is. I've got a, a hopefully a movie clip that will work. If it doesn't, I'll just have to explain it. Let's click on there and see if we can make it bigger. It's going to take, it's a little lengthy, but I think it'll be worth it. If it works. Gandhi ate one in this. Don't you remember this used to be your favorite game? Forget the games, I want some. 
real food. I want a potato, I want an egg, I want a cup of coffee. You can't. Eat your heart out, you crinkled, wrinkled, fat fag. You're a very ill-mannered young man. You're you know a slug eating worm. Come on, you can do better than that. Can't believe you're encouraging me. Yeah, show me your fastball dust brain, you punchy, sag bottom, two pot. You are a very poor role model for these kids. You know that? I bet you don't even have a fourth grade reading level. Immortal suck navel. Well, maybe a fifth grade reading level. Boil dripping, beef fart sniffing, bubble butt. Someone has a severe caca mouth. Do you know that? You are a fart factory. Slug slime, sack of rat guts and cat vomit. Cheesy scab, hick, pimple squeezing, finger bandage. A week old maggot burger with everything on it and flies on the side. Substitute chemistry teacher. Mong Tong. Mac Tudor. Pinhead. Prison Barber. Muddle Lover. Nearsighted Gynecologist. In your face, Camel Cake. In your rear, Cow Dairy Air. Lion Klein, Fine Prine, Ultra Pig. You loot crude, loot bag of peach shoot food, dude. Challenges of technology in the church today. If I can get to the very part that I was trying to actually get you to see.
So I know that was a messed up way and it probably lost its power, but the reason I want to show that scene is we see Hook, Peter Pan, he's at the table and he doesn't see it. Now it breaks down because they're imagining, but he doesn't see what they all see. They're all feasting on the meal. They're feasting at the table. And then eventually he goes and he sees it, right? And there's the table, it's been there all along, this feast that's set before them. Jesus has already made a way. Jesus has already paid for the sins of every human being, every man, woman, and child. And it's right there. It's visible. It's right there in front of them. But people are spiritually blind. They're walking around and they don't see it. And so part of our role is to help point that to people. And that, that, that it's there. It's already made accessible. It's already been available. It's already been paid for them. And we also need that reminder ourselves that Jesus has already paid it all for us. And that it's right there in front of us to, to take. And so... Uh, third and finally, we rejoice as Jesus does because we live in an era that the prophets look forward to. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. We'll wrap up. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So after his prayer, remember God, Jesus talking to God. He's got a word for his disciples he says, you really are blessed in seeing what you see. And so Jesus continues this theme of rejoicing, the theme that they are blessed because of what they see, that they should feel honored because they have an understanding and they got to experience things that prophets and kings longed for but didn't get to experience. This emphasizes that the, the prophets of old, the saints of old, that they did not get to receive this full blessing. But Jesus' disciples are blessed to be part of this new era. He, he highlights the prophets and kings, highlighted that they are privileged. They, they got to experience the, these important events that have been talked about, that they longed for. If you remember from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there's 400 years of silence. They longed for this. When's it going to happen? When's it going to take place? You've got to imagine that 400 years, if you're in that, you kind of get to the place that you're just like, that's not going to happen. I give up. So he's saying, you've got to experience that. When God incarnate came to earth, you've got to be part of this. You've got to be part of this new era in redemptive history that has dawned, and God's kingdom has now come. And so Luke's original audience, who he's writing to, and, and, and his audience today, including us, we share in this experience of God's saving rule as, as that when we hear the gospel message and it clicks and we understand and we accept this offer given to us that as a result, we are blessed. And as a result, we should rejoice. I think some of us, what we do is we give up, we understand, but then we try to work for our salvation from that day forward. And go, no, we should rejoice. It's already been given to us. We can never work enough and we don't have to. We get to rest in the finished work of Jesus. Daryl Bach in his commentary says, sometimes we think how great it would have been to see Moses perform miracles before Pharaoh or watch Elijah defeat the prophets at Baal and Mount Carmel. Jesus says that the situation is in fact the exact reverse. They long to see what we experience because to know God and life through Jesus is what they had wished to experience all along. In effect, Jesus says, count your blessings for they are many and have been desired for centuries. You see, Jesus was the long expected Messiah, the one whom the spiritually minded had expected and longed for throughout the centuries. 
But it was given to the disciples, the fulfillment of it. That something that was not given to any previous generation. They actually got to walk with him and experience this day in and day out. This was their life. And so as a result, you rejoice as Jesus does because we live in that era today where we can know Jesus fully. The things that the prophets prophesied and get, and get to experience, that we have uh, the privilege of living in the fulfillment of that day. They looked forward with an incomplete vision. This is what is to come. And now today we get to look backward to the cross at the full revelation of God in Jesus Christ. And that he has already done it all. That he has, he has come and he has accomplished this. And so we see more than the prophets did because all the revelation of God has been complete and has now been given to us. You know, we can know the mind of the Lord through the word. And then when we study scripture, the original audience, this was being written to them. We have the whole thing. We've got the entire book so we can understand and we can know God and through the glories of the gospel. And as a result, we should rejoice because we are in Christ. And we should rejoice that we get to know Christ. So as we wrap up, here are my questions for us. Are you rejoicing in Jesus as he has revealed himself to you? I think sometimes we rejoice at that initial understanding, but what's it going to be to try to work towards it or we, we tend to forget it? So are you rejoicing that he has revealed himself to you? Are you rejoicing in the salvation that has already been paid on your behalf? Like that's good news. That we get to wake up daily. His new morning mercies are, are new and fresh every single day. We can leave the worries of the, of the day before and behind, our former life. And we don't have to do anything for God to look at us as acceptable to him. Because of Jesus. When we look at the week we look at temptation, the fact that we still get tempted, the fact that we still sin and mess up. But what's awesome is that God looks at us even in that and he sees who? As you see, Jesus, yes, Jesus. He sees Jesus. And this passage does, uh, or finally, my final question is, are you praying and sharing Christ with those who haven't seen clearly yet? I say yet because I call people in my life who don't know Jesus, I call them pre-believers. I don't call them lost or non-Christian. I call them pre-believers because it's already been paid for them. And my hope and my prayer as they become believers. And so they're, they're, pre, they're not believers yet, just like I was at one time. This passage helps explain to us why some people don't believe. No matter how clearly we make the message, no matter how many, uh, we used to give out these things called tracks, no matter how many gospel tracks or uh, things that we could do in the sand for them, smoke signals that we would give them, whatever. We can't make it clearly enough to them because there's, there's a part of this that the Holy Spirit has to be involved. This is why prayer is so vital and important because we need God to be involved in the process. And so our prayer for is for people to have a childlike heart where they willingly trust. They don't have to have all the answers. Right? Think about my, my, about my children. This is changing some as they're getting older, but as they're, when they're still very young children, right? They love you and they trust you even though you don't have all the answers. Because if you're a parent, you know you don't have all the answers. You don't have it all figured out. And so we need to pray that people have a childlike faith. And to be clear, we have a role in that process. We are to share about Jesus and his message with other people. And God often will use us as conduits or instruments to open people's hearts and minds. God frequently uses the preaching of his word from the pulpit on a Sunday to open people's hearts and people's minds. But our prayer 
is that God would speak to them. That God would open their hearts and their minds for clear understanding. And so here's my challenge. As we, we've talked about this since we started this series. I'm just calling my Easter challenge. Now, on one hand, we, get, we celebrate Jesus and the resurrection week in and week out, right? So every single Sunday. So on that part, you know, there's nothing necessarily special about Easter. But there is, at the same time, something very special about Easter. Um, it's that time of year that we set aside, just like we do Christmas, and really celebrate, like, what this means, what this represents. That, that Jesus really went to the cross. Like, we really believe that. He really paid for the sins of the world, but he did not stay dead, and that, that changes everything. Even in a city like ours, even in a church like ours, historically we have seen more people show up on an Easter Sunday. And a high percentage of those, I don't have the stats, but a high percentage of those came from a personal invite. Someone who said, I already know you, I have a relationship with you, I'd love for you to join me on Easter. What are you doing on Easter? Nothing. This is the, this is the one time of year, even in our city, people are like, you know what? I've tried everything else. Why not? Why not go to this? And so my challenge is that you invite one person or one family to join you on Easter Sunday. And if you're like, I don't have that person in mind, I don't have a family, pray that God will reveal who it is that you should invite to join you. And if they don't show up, don't be discouraged. My story last year is I invited probably like 25 people. None of them showed up. My youngest invited, I think, like 12, and everyone showed up. And so um, don't be disappointed if they don't show up. But do your part, pray for them, invite them. Another challenge is pray for them specifically the next two weeks leading up to Easter. So if you're going to do that invite, pray God. I pray that there's interest on their part. Because sometimes people in our city are actually pretty kind about this. I know it's Portland, but they'll, they'll take your invite, especially if you have a relationship with them, and they'll say, oh, thanks, you know, I'll think about it. But pray for them. Pray that, that God would remind them. Pray that, that he would stir something in them. Pray that he's already working in their hearts and their minds. And then rejoice in God as we watch him do what only he can do. So that's my challenge as we get ready to go into this Easter here in a couple of weeks. So let me pray for us this morning and then we're going to respond. Father God, we come to you. Got a week that honestly, um, <coughs> confession of my heart is I, I didn't feel great in my preparation of today's message, but God, I pray that you still use it. God, as a reminder of you revealing yourself to us. God, a reminder that you did come and you have already paid for it all on the cross. God, there's nothing that we have to do other than willingly accept it. And so, God, I pray that right now, this morning, that you would bring an individual or a family to our hearts and to our minds. God, someone that we could invite to join us in the celebration of you on Easter. And then, God, we can watch you do what only you can do. And God, if it's not an invite to our gathering, God, just this time of year, it's... It, we have an excuse even more than we do any other week to talk about you, to talk about why this matters to us. And so God, I pray that you would give us boldness and opportunity to share with our coworkers, our friends, and our family. And God, that we remind this morning that we get to rejoice in you, the blessing that you are to our lives, and the blessing that you want us to go to be to others. It's in your name and your power we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.